This episode of Radio Vet Nurse was proudly brought to you by Zilkeen. Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast with your host, Kat Robinson. You're listening to Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast for vet nurses where we tell our story. I'm your host, Kat Robinson. Vet nursing can be a tough gig, and yet we absolutely love it. So when it comes to vet nurses, who are we? How do we achieve greatness? How do we cope with the more challenging parts of our job? Radio Vet Nurse is our way to start a dialogue around these questions and to create a space where we can tell our story. Each episode, you'll hear from a different vet nurse about their personal experiences in life and in vet nursing. In this episode, I caught up with social media super nurse and all-round lovely human, Lou the Vet Nurse. If you don't already follow Lou on Facebook or Insta, you should. Her social media content is full of vet nursing tips and positive inspo. You can find a link to Lou's social media and everything else we discuss in the show notes on my website, radiovetnurse.com. Lou is an RVN in the UK with a special interest in intensive nursing and anaesthesia. In addition to active nursing, Lou is the clinical nurse lead at her practice. She's responsible for monitoring and reviewing clinical standards and mentoring the nursing team in line with her additional qualifications. Lou has some great ideas about how to work at improving, firstly, our own skills and knowledge as individuals, and secondly, the standards of care of the veterinary healthcare team as a whole. She's also a huge advocate for vets and nurses working together and sharing ideas. Whether you're listening to Lou in this interview or enjoying her social media content, it's obvious that she's all about encouraging vet nurses to appreciate their self-worth and to go out and create the careers they've always wanted. It's inspiring to hear another vet nurse speak this way and to promote what's becoming a reoccurring theme on this podcast, that we are qualified, knowledgeable professionals and our voices are worth listening to. Hi Lou, welcome to Radio Vet Nurse. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really, really excited. I haven't done this before, so bear with me. It's amazing to have you and you're my first uh, international guest. Well, I have uh, interviewed other vet nurses from the UK, originally from the UK or still from the UK, but not um, somebody who's over there presently. So by the power of technology, here we are. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we're talking like this now and it is just like we're in the same room. Nuts, nuts. It is. It's fantastic. Now, I know you listen to podcasts because I see you sharing them on your um, amazing Lou the Vet Nurse Instagram account. So what podcasts do you listen to? What are some of your favourites? Oh, well, to be honest, there's loads. And I think podcasts are great because um, you can listen to them anytime, anywhere. So for me, where I live, I get stuck in traffic driving to work almost every day. So um, putting Mm -hmm. on a podcast um, is just such a good way of learning and helps pass the time. Um, So my favourite ones really are, there's a new one um, that came out a couple of months ago um, called the Vet Emergency um, Podcast. um, And that's available to um, download from iTunes. um, And that's great. And it covers loads of different things. They've already done um, a podcast on the dyspneic cat um, and sort of respiratory medicine. um, And it's really, really interesting. Um, the Royal Veterinary College also do clinical podcasts from time to time um, and they're quite they're quite interesting sometimes I think they are aimed more at vets um, but nurses there's always tips that you can pick up through those as well um, and the other one to mention which I used to absolutely love um, is the Veterinary Emergency um, ECC Small Talk podcast um, mm. but Shailen who uh, 
does that podcast is actually he's just opened a new referral hospital called the ralph okay. um in marlow so he's been very busy with that so we haven't had any new episodes recently but there are loads on there already that you can listen to yeah that is a really good one and it is a big commitment so i can only imagine yes. with opening a hospital at the same time yeah. you may need a little break for a while uh-huh yeah definitely excellent it's going to be so good to talk to you today because this episode will be released just before the bnca conference the Betnos council of australia conference in brisbane and it will actually be launched on the same day that we launch voluntary registration for vet nurses in australia so um you're obviously uh, a, a registered vet nurse in the yeah. uk so you know how it all works and it'd be great yeah. to get um your input so uh, yeah. which brings me to my next question where are you from and where do you currently live? So um, I am from Oxfordshire in England um, originally um, but I'm living in Buckinghamshire at the moment which is basically the border uh, next door um, and I've worked in numerous different first opinion hospitals um, in and around this local area and also um, spent some time working um, at a really wonderful referral hospital where I learned so much um, and I'm back now working um, in a large first opinion practice which I absolutely love it's very varied um, and every day is different um, I think some people think that first opinion is boring and I really don't think it's the case um, mm. we, we see so many interesting cases day in day out um, and yeah if you're unhappy where you are right now um, there will be a place where you belong so um, yeah. yeah get out there and find your happiness Absolutely. I was telling somebody that just today there will be the right practice for you. And when you say first opinion, is that what we would call a GP vet or a general yes. practice vet? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So the where um, everybody um, and anyone would bring their pet to if they're unwell initially, um, before then potentially they might need to be referred for specialist work yeah. um, if, if it's deemed necessary. I really like working in a GP practice too because of the relationships that you get to make with your clients and with yes. your patients. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think it's so special when you work in a practice for so long um, that you just get, as you say, get to know the owners really well, you get to know the animals mm. really well. And I think it's special for the owner to see that you can recognise how far from normal their pet is. Mm. Um, and also in my career where I am now, there's been a few times where pet owners have seemed, you know, happy and relieved that I'm the one looking after their pet and that means so yeah. much to me that they trust me um, and that's just so valuable. Absolutely one of my nurses the other day was saying to me I just love how well we know our patients and our yeah. clients because we sort of can refer to patients just by like first name basis of what they're yeah. coming in for or yeah. and everybody knows straight away and or we'll know that oh, okay well his owner's on holiday so we'll need to speak to such and such and we all mm -hmm. sort of know the plans of even what the owners were going to be doing yeah. at that time and yeah and you think you know what they would want don't you as well it's you um, do yeah. and um how did you get your foot in the door with vet nursing you've had a pretty long career i believe yes so <laughs> i feel like it's all i've ever done um when i was 15 <laughs> i went on a work experience placement to my local veterinary practice it was only for a week um, but it blew my mind. I already knew at that point that I wanted to be a veterinary nurse, but I remember by the end of the week just being so overwhelmed with how much I loved it. And the school had given me a work experience booklet to complete. And I remember that I stapled about five extra pages <laughs> 
on the back with like all the things I'd seen. I wish I still had it because I'm sure it's hilarious the things I wrote on it. Um, but I was just so blown away. Um, so following that placement, I then wrote back to them and said, I've just had the best week. Please, can I come and do a job? Any job, just let me back. And um, thankfully, because I was quite enthusiastic, um, they said, yeah, okay. So I used to go after school one to two nights a week clean kennels help the nursing team just watch what's going on Um, and then after I had finished my GCSE exams and achieved the grades I needed to do uh, the veterinary nurse training I started full-time worked for two years as like a receptionist kennel assistant um, which was brilliant again it gave me so much scope and I really do um, value the role of every person in a veterinary practice because the front line as I call it um, the client care team um, I think they have a really hard job so um, I think it gave me really good scope Um, and then yes when I was 18 I started my nurse training um, and I qualified just before my 21st birthday Um, and now I'm 30 years old so what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, it's, but I wouldn't change a thing. It's just it's been such so rewarding and valuable so far, um, and you know I just think, gosh, what's going to happen in the next ten years? So um, yeah, love it. Yeah, your joy for vet nursing is just so apparent um, on your social media pages. So I follow you on Instagram and on Facebook, and it's just such beautiful content that you create, and oh, so thank you. beautifully branded too. I mean, your skill in making it all look coherent and consistent it is a masterclass in personal brand yeah I don't know that must be like the creative side of my brain because I was actually rubbish at art at school but clearly um social media is another sideline of mine I just um yeah it's beautifully done and the content is really useful I don't know how many nurses out there are doing it I follow you and a similar one which I also love which is Laura the Mm -hmm. RBN I think that's the one that's what it is yeah Um, yeah and just it's just a really handy information to be brushing up on, you know, um, you know, patient monitoring or clinical yeah. audits or um, considerations for various breeds. So yeah. the content is great. And aside from from your Instagram and Facebook, where do you work and what's your role? What are you doing from day to day? So um, my role in practice at the moment, um, I returned to my to Wendover Heights. I left to work at Davies and then I came back to Wendover, mainly because, as we've already said, I really missed my clients. Um, yeah. I didn't realise just how much that meant to me, knowing my clients and my patients really well um, until I left, because it's, a, it's a def- definitely a very different um, environment when working at a referral, for, mm. referral hospital. Um, mm. So when I returned to Wendover, I came back as clinical nurse lead now when I first took that role it was sort of a new concept and I wasn't really sure what exactly it would be sorry it was that I would be doing so I work alongside my head nurse he's called Mike lovely chap Um, Mm -hmm. and we work alongside the head vet and the head clinical lead vet so my job is to read up-to-date evidence-based medicine and clinical nursing journals and review them basically what what we're against what we do every day um i also provide a lot of training and support to my team so if there's any areas which the team sort of having a bit of a wobble over we might arrange some training i might give it i might get somebody else in to do it um i do all the clinical nursing audits as well so i think that's a really important um thing which i think nurses should all get involved with and that involves looking at a key area of your practice 
notice so you could look at post-op temperatures how many are coming back chilly well um, I'm sure in Australia at the moment um, not many would be coming back chilly because the environment <laughs> itself is 45 degrees celsius um, but um, here in the UK where it's cold most of the time it is a big problem so um, I look at how many come back cold and then we action plan ways in which we all make them warmer and then we repeat the audit and see if we get better numbers Um, and that's a really good way of trying to improve clinical standards um, and just seeing what works and what doesn't so that's great Um, and then basically I say probably the last thing I do is I troubleshoot any accidents or mistakes made by myself or my team so it's not like a finger pointing exercise it's what's happened what can we change to stop it happening again next time does that person need support do they need more training um you know or is it the environment where this task is done that's just wrong so um yeah i really enjoy that as well because hopefully most of the time it's a positive um outcome Mm, that is such an important thing to be doing in practice and that's a lot of um what what I do I'm not um there so much in the day anymore with my son but anytime you know throughout the the history prior to to me having my son anytime that there was an incident and it might be a clinical incident but it might be something as simple as the patient was discharged but didn't get given its antibiotics and now the owner has had to drive half an hour back to get them and so I'll look at well where are we putting these things at at discharge time you know are they clearly in a pile with everything that the patient needs is all ready to go well before we start discharges or are we running around at the last minute or you know if a, if a dog um, you know get, gets away from a nurse and ends up in the yard free ranging and we're trying to catch it what happened you know yeah did, did this nurse need extra help um, you know do we need new slip leads what's going on here so it's it's a bad thing if you have an accident or you know a, a, an unfortunate situation but it really is an opportunity just to mitigate risk so that yeah. you you have less and less and less of those incidents happening all the time yeah yeah exactly and um you know our job is very fast paced it's stressful accidents happen to everybody nobody does you know but no one's perfect human Um, error but yeah in the uk at the moment we're we're talking a lot about blame culture and trying to put sort of stamp down on it so it's not Mm. you know finger pointing and you know disciplinary necessarily but it's just like working with the individual to see you know what went wrong and how we can support Mm. them because you know it is stressful um yeah and I like that blame the the blame issue that you're trying to address there I always say when an accident happens that individual was just the person at the pointy end of the system gone wrong yeah exactly yeah there's there's like a chain of events often leading up to something going wrong so you know a drug overdose is it because the nurse is being rushed by the vet and they've got to finish doing a discharge appointment and then they need to do this and they need to do that and they need you know the vet says why haven't you given them their pain relief so they go to quickly do that you know I think Mm. there's so many um times when we're put under stress where you could accidentally you know mess things up but it could just be the environment that influences you so yeah and sometimes the wheels have to come off the wagon in order for somebody up higher to say maybe we need an extra person on that shift maybe you know this nurse is in a position that they're totally unable to to perform to their best capacity so and while you're at Davies I know you loved the um, anesthetics there and you did some more studies so in your day-to-day work are you also doing a lot of surgery and that sort of thing? So um, in my practice where I am now, we we rotate around areas every week, every day. So that I won't necessarily be in the same area two days running. So I mm-hmm. could be on a kennel shift. 
I might be doing theatre the next day, then I might be doing clinics and consult appointments front of house. Um, it really does vary. Um, I would say if there's anything particularly exciting, so um, any patients that are higher risk, I will sort of muscle my way in <laughs> um, and try and get involved, uh, which I know I'm sometimes doing my team. Order team here. Yeah, my team are like, oh, Lou, go away. But um, it's just, you know, it's what I love and what I enjoy the most. Um, so yeah. if we do have something interesting coming in, I'll say, oh, could I write a plan up? And, you know, for you to sign off. And most of the vets are really open to that and enjoy um, my input. So that's great. Um, and I would encourage other nurses as well. If you do have an area you're interested in, find your niche and embrace it. Because mm. ultimately, if it's your passion, you'll be really good at it. And that's the end. <laughs> that's so, it. Yeah. That's and it. I just get so much more job satisfaction now having my own niche, having an area which I know more than average about. Um, and then I can support my team as well. So it's a win win all round. Yeah, and it's amazing. Sometimes I think it's that we don't think about it that much. Like I um, survey my nurses twice a year and one of the questions that I ask is, you know, what aspects of the job do you really like or what areas um, would, you know, would it benefit us to um, extend you towards in terms of extra study or, you know, what's your, what's your interest? And sometimes they're like, um... And, you know, I think sometimes we're just so caught up in trying to do our job properly, be really diligent, do everything, and we don't ask ourselves, but what do I actually really love? And it's really handy in, in practice to have someone on your team who loves behavior and you can get them to help with the behavior case and someone on your team who loves, you know, anesthetics or somebody who yeah. loves um, orthopedics and you can get them involved in rehabilitation. So definitely think about what you love and speak up. Yeah, no, I I completely I completely agree. Um, I think especially when you're training student nurses, um, the clinical coach has. Um, I don't. Do you have clinical coaches in Australia? So like a mentor, who would mentor? So they'd be like the student mentor and would sign yes. off coursework yes, and bits and pieces. Yeah. So I think the clinical coach, as an individual, has a massive task to be able to teach an entire syllabus to a nurse with mm. gusto and passion, because you mm. know we all have areas you know we we don't like so much so for me my area which um I like less less um less much um is radiography so radiographic positioning is not my thing I don't have the patience but my head nurse he is like a magician he can get the boniest (laughs) thinnest dog you know into position for a hips for scheme no problem at all whereas it would take me probably about half an hour to get the positioning right so I think sometimes you just have to accept that yes that's not your your area per se um but delegate to a team member that's got that passion because they will do a better job and that isn't um sort of like an insult to yourself but when you have to think about it from your student's perspective they will get a better level of training if they're taught by someone who loves what they're talking about yeah that's it that's it it's in Australia they more or less get taught they get taught by an external um, education provider and then they learn on the job like every every day anything a a vet nursing student is doing they're learning on the job but then it's mostly sort of self-directed for them at home and then they'll come into work and say these are the areas I need to get signed off on and yeah then the mentor will try and give them opportunities to do that and it it is good I think then if you can the mentor can hand off and say this person will show you how to do um this clean path activity because they love clean path and you might have a chance of loving it too if you learn yeah. from them but if you learn from me not so much okay. yeah it's gonna be dry <laughs> yeah no i totally agree um and yeah what's the what's your favorite part of your job 
Oh, it's really, really hard. I think it probably falls into two areas, really. Um, So as we've already mentioned, I love anaesthesia and analgesia so much and also emergency and critical care nursing. Um, And that's definitely where I'll be happiest um, when I'm nursing those types of patients. But I also absolutely um, love getting to know pet owners um, and their pets. Um, And as we've already said, I just when you've worked in a practice for so many years, you just really know your clients well. Um, And I just think it adds a whole other level to the nursing care that you can provide. Um, I also do really enjoy supporting my team and teaching everybody. Um, And I sometimes give seminars to them in my areas of interest, which go down well. Um, And since doing so, we've made some really key changes in our practice. And I think that's been really rewarding for me um, to be able to use the knowledge I've obtained through doing CPD. Um, and mm. then it's also benefited my team and our patients. So great. Um, and I'm also trying to encourage my girls to embrace um, teaching us all in like a set seminar type environment. Um, but not mm. everybody likes public speaking, which is fine. <laughs> so yeah. that's still a work in progress. Definitely. I think if, if one person goes away to a conference, it's really valuable if you can find the time to get them to present even on one area of something that they mm. enjoyed in the conference, just to, to share that knowledge and to, yeah. to share that education. But yeah, some people do find public speaking um, pretty petrifying. So yeah. I think sharing CPD knowledge is so important because otherwise mm. it's relatively pointless because if you mm. don't use what you've learned, why have you learned it? So, yeah. you know, I think sharing really is important. And that's why I think a lot of um, vet nurses now are popping up with sort of educational pages because there is everybody wants to learn like the positive mm. buzz you get from um, seeing nurses go oh that's why you know those little um, points are so meaningful um, yeah. and there's you know pages I can think of off the top of my head um, veterinary anesthesia um, so she is a vet nurse that works at the Royal Veterinary College so that's a page dedicated purely to anesthesia and I love uh-huh. it mm-hmm. um, and then we also have the cat nurse um, so that's a vet nurse called Alex who is obsessed yes. with felines I follow um, her she, she is definitely a crazy cat lady <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah they're two pages um, again I think which are great for like an informal CPD provider where you can just you know when you're in the bath on your phone in the evenings there you go there's 10 minutes of CPD done yeah (laughs) I'll put a I'll put a link to those in the show notes because what I love about those pages and yours and Laura's too is that um it's just little little tiny bites of information Mm. that you can kind of take in and go oh that's good I'll remember that for next time rather than sitting down and waiting through you know 20 minutes 30 minutes of reading your textbook it's just a nice little bite and you you go thanks for that thanks for that tip um but yeah definitely I always have my a book when I go to any kind of conference or do any kind of CPD and on the very last page I jot down any um, dot points of key things I really want to change at my practice and even if it takes me a year I keep that page and I stick it up on my wall at home and as difficult as it is I always get there and there are just so many changes within our business that have just come from conferences and that's how you keep the most um, up-to-date information so really important really important (laughs) And you present at a few conferences over there too. So yeah. you you should just submit to present over in Australia at the next BNCA conference. I I don't know whether 
But yeah, I mean, I do present over here, uh, and that's something I've only really started doing in the last year. And and basically, the the public speaking and presenting side of things came from doing it in my practice. So mm-hmm. they were like, "Oh, you're quite good at public speaking, Lou. Like, you should, you know, do, do it in conferences and things." So um, I ended up doing a few sessions for other veterinary practices, um, and again, the feedback was very positive. And then through my social media pages, um, I think people maybe have picked up on my small dab of enthusiasm that I have <laughs> and um, have invited me to speak at various lecture uh, lectures and seminars in the UK now, which is really overwhelming. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm outwardly really academic. Like I love my what I do as a vet nurse. I love learning, mm-hmm. but, you know, I'm not... I'm, it's really hard for me to put it into words what I'm trying to say at this point but um <laughs> I'm very good at my job as in I really enjoy what I do and I understand what I do but in regards to general life <laughs> I'm not very clever I <laughs> uh, so, think you um, might yeah. be selling yourself short how long yeah. does it take you to make one of your um educational pieces of content like as a, someone who creates content I know it takes a long time yes it does it does take me a lot of hours so most lunch times at work I will be doing social media content for myself and also my veterinary practice because I do their social media pages as well mm-hmm. um and then a lot of my free time as well so I would say probably one post is about an hour really yeah. with mm. designing um writing checking and even then when I check and check and check I'll still write a word wrong or spell it wrong or use the wrong grammar but it's quite hard when you're tired to um not make mistakes sometimes but um yeah I do really like making them I was thinking there would have to be about an hour because firstly you're researching or you're making sure you've got the correct yeah. mm-hmm. information and then as I said your really consistent branding it's um, the attention to detail of that is just amazing so um, and, and if you don't create content it's probably easy to scroll through Instagram going oh I like that that's good but if you do create content you're like oh my god god how long yeah. did this take and she's posting two or three a day I know I have cut down though <laughs> I have been trying to cut down but it's like oh I feel like I feel bad now if I don't post something every morning because I feel like you know nurses will expect to post with their breakfast We're- and their cornflakes but um yeah <laughs> I- <laughs> yeah I mean um inspiration for posting I guess comes from just being in practice so I think oh that's a good point oh that's you know yeah. I, I think that's I, I'll share that um, true and also if I as you've said already if I've been on a CPD course or I've listened to a podcast and there's been a really relevant point I thought oh yeah let's make that that point wider let's spread that goodness everywhere so yeah. um yeah I'm sure it helps cement things for you too to to be writing it and putting it together and thinking about it so yeah um, it's good I'm, revision for me I mean a lot revision, of the, exactly. a lot of stuff that I do I think oh yeah I remember reading this and sometimes you know that had gone out of my mind I think oh how have I forgotten this yeah. um, but other times it's just a nice refresher so it's yeah. it's it's like in um involuntary um re- revision for me as well yeah now speaking of catering your content to the cornflakes eaters around um, yeah. the uk or and, actually and, it would be dinner world. time <laughs> it would be yeah. dinner time for you guys wouldn't it sorry cornflake eaters of the uk my, and dinner eaters yeah. of australia <laughs> my dinner time content thank you yeah. um but for the cornflake eaters what is your oh. routine when you wake up in the morning how do you set yourself up for the day Oh gosh! Now, when I saw that you can ask me this question, I thought, "Oh, shall I lie and tell tell Radio Vet Nurse that I go running every morning and I have my herbal tea and do an hour of yoga?" Well, I would be lying because um, I'm definitely not a morning person in any way, shape, or form. 
That's quite um, all right. So, I don't do any of yeah. those things either. <laughs> um, my husband knows that when I wake up in the morning, he can't talk to me for the first 30 minutes unless it's to give me a cup of tea or coffee <laughs> um, because I, honestly, I'm vile. I don't know why. I just hate waking up. But what I will say is when I am in the car and I'm going to work, that's when I get my buzz on. Um, and I love when I get to work and I open, walk in through the door because I know I'm going to do my job. And that's what I absolutely adore. Um, but then I'm just <laughs> full on, full on, full on until I come home. And I do weirdly get this strange sense of contentment when I get to work as like when you mm. finish work and you get home in the evening. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, I know what I'm doing. I'm here to do my job. I'm here to do my job well. But then equally, yeah. I do like coming home as well. <laughs> it's great that you love your job so much. I mean, we're so lucky, those of us who have found um, things that we really enjoy. And we're not just, uh, you know, dragging ourselves off to work every day to get the money in the account to pay the rent or the mortgage or whatever. So, and I just imagine your husband just <laughs> start having to start work earlier and earlier every day. Gee, yeah. I've got to be out of the house before you're even awake. Yeah, well, <laughs> sometimes that, depending on what shift I, I'm on, that does happen. Um, mm. But it's, um, yeah, I'm def- I'm more of an, a night owl, really. So, like, I could be up doing surgery until three in the morning, like, absolutely buzzing. But yeah. um, getting up, oh, my gosh. And in the winter here, it's dark and it's cold. Yeah. And we don't get m- m- many sunny days. And, yeah, it can be difficult. <laughs> Does your practice operate, you know, late hours? So, routine surgeries finish normally at about five o'clock um, in the afternoon, um, but then we will we do our own out of hours emergencies. So, we if we're yep. doing surgery at night, it's going to be something juicy. So, it'll mm. probably be a gastric torsion, a splenectomy, um, a C-section, something yeah. really fun. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> do you have a vet nurse and a vet both on call at yes. night? Yes. Yeah, we do. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, um, we have at my practice we have 20 nurses I think um and there is nine of us on the out of hours rotor so yeah that's that's sort of the frequency of on call that we do which is actually quite nice yeah there is something crazy about doing those surgeries in the middle of the night um I mean in the first four years we were open and I didn't have my son I would often go in with my husband and do um exactly like GDV or c-section and it's just crazy driving in in the dead of night and you know being up doing a surgery and then recovering a patient and listen to the radio have a cup of tea whatever you're doing yeah. while you know you're helping with recovery and going huh we just did something crazy and it's like four in the morning now the sun's gonna come up yeah and then you feel like you could just crack on and you don't need to go to bed that's it <laughs> that's, that's what I always find I just can't switch off then because I'm like buzzing because um, <laughs> they're often like really rewarding cases as well yeah like, there's, you get that adrenaline rush you have to be on it um you know really efficient um and then all of a sudden you're supposed to go to bed really <laughs> <laughs> it is difficult I've often wished I was a morning person too but you mm. just can't force it but no, I mean, I'm better, you can't. I'm better now that my son gets me awake but I mean in the past I've tried to do um you know when I lived in Brisbane I would try to do a yoga class before work or Pilates before work or get up and meet friends and go for a walk i do not run or go for a swim Um, and then I tried a few times and then just be honest with myself and say you know what every time the alarm goes off that little voice in my brain goes Kat the thing that's best for you better than any of those activities right now is sleep so just hit that snooze button and I do so eventually I go I just can't commit to that I'm just setting myself up to fail 
Yeah, my um, my husband Rich, he um, always gets annoyed with me because I will set my alarm to alarm every 10 minutes <laughs> for about an hour. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, another 50 minutes. Oh yeah, another 40 minutes. Oh yeah, another 30 minutes. He's like, just get up. <laughs> but anyway, there we go. It's evil, isn't it? You just ruin yeah. his sleep. Yeah, because he is like one alarm up, up and out. You know, he yeah. is a morning person, but it's, yeah, so funny. <laughs> well, it's not uh, for him, can... but it is for me. Anyway, yeah. I can relate to you um now what weekly or daily habit makes your life better well out of work i would say the one and a half hour long bath i make myself have every night <laughs> what <laughs> because <laughs> everyone needs to de-stress some people go running i lay in the bath <laughs> and um I just, yeah, I just find it so relaxing. I listen to music. Sometimes I light candles. And that is how I de-stress my mind. Um, I also love walking my dog. I have a dog, a Cocker Spaniel called Mr. George, which I'm sure I've many of you have seen, seen pictures Mr. of. Mr. George. Yes, beautiful. He is delicious. Um, but he actually <laughs> lives with my mum most of the time, mainly due to my working hours and the fact he is a needy Cocker Spaniel with, surprise, mm. surprise, separation anxiety. <laughs> Who would have guessed it? Um, and my parents are at home all day, every day. So he goes there and I get to do all the fun bits. So um, <laughs> um, he always makes life better as well. So you take him to doggy daycare. Um, well, basically, they are doggy daycare. I call my mum and dad Granny Paws and Grandad Paws. <laughs> <laughs> That's so nice. Do you have any strange habits or superstitions? I do have some strange habits in that I'm really amazed I haven't done it already, actually. So when I talk to people that have accents, I automatically mimic them. Oh, my God. So um, do try. <laughs> So, yeah, it's, um, I can't help it sometimes. And I don't realise I'm doing it either. Oh, so I really, too. I was really worried today. I was going to be like, hi there, everyone. Um, I'm Lou the Vet Nurse on Radio Vet Nurse Australia. See, that's quite good, isn't it? <laughs> it is, an Australian accent is not easy. That was quite good. Thank you. Thanks. I may be slightly picking up on yours. I'm trying not to, but ah, oh, it's the funniest yeah, habit. And so you, funny. you worry, you become paranoid that people think that you are like making fun of them yeah and I'm not it's just like this inner inner Australian in me basically wants to come out right now <laughs> do, do me Australian one more time crikey dingo <laughs> this is Lou the vet nurse on Radio Vet nurse Australia <laughs> crikey dingo yeah Excellent. sorry I'll stop now that's um, all good I've never met anybody else who's, admit, who's admitted to having that habit and I'm yeah. not sure if I've admitted to it either so <laughs> right on what else yes um I would say giving my colleagues pet names so like Holly Bobs um I can't think oh Millie Moo that's one of the vets she's Millie and sometimes I forget not to call them by their vet and uh, pet name in front of clients <laughs> so um that will be a bit awkward sometimes <laughs> Millie Moo will be in to see you soon. Sorry, yeah. I mean uh, the doctor. Yeah, I'll let Millie Moo know that you're here. <laughs> oh, but there uh, we go. So that can be awkward, but it's not too bad, really. Somebody needs to do it. Somebody needs to come up with the nicknames. Um, we had, uh, we've got two employees named Chloe and we hired them both nearly at the same time. And for ages, we were just calling them the Chloes. And then oh. the end, I was like, we can't do this. Like they're individual people. We need nicknames. And it was really hard because I was, we needed you. Because I was like, what nickname do you want to have? And they're like, I don't know. Like both like really easygoing, like no trouble, like whatever. And I was like, ah. Damn it. Anyway, we got there, but um, see, somebody with your skill could have come in very handy. I could. I could have, yeah, come in there and just fired out the pet names. 
And can you think of a purchase made by you or your employer that's positively impacted your vet nurse life in recent memory? Well, I think every vet nurse would say that quiet clippers that actually work are a godsend. Um, So I'm not allowed to endorse any products um, because of my code of conduct. Okay. They're small and they're white and they've got black writing on. So, but um, that has made such a massive difference to Mm. just cats in my practice. They don't batter an eyelid because they're so quiet, they're gentle. And also, amazingly, they clip rabbit fur. Now, we all know that rabbit fur is an absolute nightmare to shave. um, And some clippers can half castrate rabbits (laughs) if you're not careful (laughs) when you're shaving up their testicles. So, um, yes, these clippers. (laughs) are amazing um and i think probably um the other like things i absolutely love which have made a massive difference is just having the advanced monitoring equipment Mm -hmm. anesthesia because it just gives you so much more information that you just wouldn't know without it so it makes you feel like you do a better job you know more about how your patient is coping under anesthesia because sometimes you think it all would be is fine but actually it's not um and without the advanced monitors so the multi-parameter monitors or at least a capnograph um yeah yeah you just wouldn't know so yeah yeah we've recently um gotten that equipment to probably I, i don't know maybe in the last six to 12 months i can't even think um but prior to that gee we because we we only opened you know five years ago and we we always have to save up the money and get the next thing and save up the money and get the next thing and and my husband's pretty old school so for ages he was pretty happy like yeah i've got an app alert i've got spo2 that's all i need to know um but the nurses i think used to be a little bit nervous like what is going on particularly because we had an old school anesthetic machine but um even he's come around now with all of um, you know capnograph and better equipment he's like oh we can actually tell that you know blood pressure is dropping and um you know we can do something about that or we can tell we're using temperature probes and um and we're going to get we want to get an esophageal stethoscope that's been on the list for ages because um joe hatcher recommended it in episode two and i always follow up on these things but um yeah that gear um just makes such a big difference in everybody not having to just guess what's going on or worry that your patient's about to start crashing you can start to see a trend and act on it yeah no totally and I think once you if you ever sort of are in a practice where you have advanced monitoring equipment and then you move and you go somewhere that hasn't got it it's really unnerving because Mm. yes your you know your skills are the most important skills you're like hands-on nursing but equally as I say like these monitors are are so invaluable Um, and I really hope like in time that it would just be standard requirements for practices to have multi-parameter monitors for patients Mm. going under anaesthesia because in a human hospital, you know, you would not dream <laughs> of mm. anaesthetizing a human without Mm-mm. your advanced monitors. And I think our patients deserve that too. Mm. Um, so, yeah, in the UK, we have um, the practice standards, um, which um, involves sort of the veterinary practices in the UK ticking off equipment that they have and things that they do. Um, and you have to achieve certain things um to become accredited with the royal college mm-hmm. and um things like having advanced monitors you get extra points for but i yeah. think it should just be standard requirements so it's not you get a gold star if you've got one it should just be um everyone should have one yeah we have a similar thing we have um i know in queensland anyway we have um a set of guidelines that you have to meet to get a 
approved as a veterinary premises but then on a higher level we've got um, I think it's the AVA um, accreditation guidelines which we we recently looked at it's like an 80 page document and we want to work towards achieving all of that within the next five years there's probably not that many practices um, around I think that are AVA accredited but um, it's and it's some of them the things on the accreditation list are very basic things like having yeah. patient records scanned and attached to their file like yeah. their blood know, test it, results it, or it's whatever a bit like it makes you think really <laughs> that's a requirement <laughs> are we, would you not are just we not doing assume that? you're supposed to do that <laughs> yeah and you've just made a poster that I will be getting one of when mm. they become available in Australia I think they are maybe available in Australia very yes, soon as of the 21st of February um, Excellent. Yeah, my capitography for veterinary nurses posters will be available to purchase and ship over to Australia and New Zealand um, so yeah I designed these a few months ago as um, I did a few posts on catnography on my facebook page and the buzz was nuts um mm. and i thought oh do you know what i would really like to make something for nurses to have in practice um because a lot of nurses ask me to send just like the small images and i thought that's fine but it's a lot of paper and mm. um you know the quality wasn't as good so i i went away and spent about three or four weeks um wow. making these posters for everybody um and they are super basic but i wanted to make it super basic so it's not intimidating because actually yeah. when you strip it back it's quite straightforward and quite simple and really really interesting um so yeah i just would like to mention that <clears throat> with these capnography posters any actions you decide to do from um seeing a problem um in the uk here we monitor anesthesia under the direction of the veterinary surgeon so number one is to make sure you tell your vet <clears throat> there's something wrong and two just talk to them about what you'd like to do about it and then they'll either say yes or no um because we do just have to make sure we abide by our code of conduct exactly here. exactly we we're the same we we yeah. basically have training to monitor depth of anesthesia or pain or and report that back um, yes. or any drops in you know or increases or changes in in vital signs and those sorts of parameters and say this is what's happening what would you like me to do about it rather than um you know i'll just turn him up and no we're not meant to 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 be doing that without sort of checking with the vet first so very yeah, similar chat it out that's um, my that's my key message really have a chat about it um you know tell them what you think you'd like to do ask me if that's okay and they'll say yes or no or otherwise so yeah work work together yeah yeah definitely well and anybody who wants to know what that poster looks like there there's Im- lots of images on your page on instagram and on facebook and it's on Et- etsy as well isn't it the poster yeah that's right so um yeah international shipping for that now is well as of tomorrow 21st will be open so yes get your orders in <laughs> i will be getting one for I'll be a busy bee <laughs> you will be a busy bee now can you tell me about a time when you were able to turn defeat into victory yeah, I was one time I read this question, I thought, oh, there's so many things which, you know, I feel I've turned negatives into positives. And I think probably in the role that I'm doing now, I encounter this a lot. So when I'm doing all of our clinical audits, I do find problems and mistakes and complications. Um, and then I work on those issues and try and stop them happening again. And I think that probably is the way I would say we turn a defeat into a victory because we could potentially stop that problem happening again. So, for example, um, let's think about your cat. So you're going to do a cat anaesthetic. Um, You've set up um, all your anaesthetic equipment, but you haven't leak tested your anaesthetic circuit. And the person before you has left 
the um, the valve closed. So anyway, the vet anaesthetizes the cat. You attach your patient. Valve is shut. Pop goes the lungs. So this is something I have seen in practice, and I'm sure many of you are sat there now thinking, "Oh yeah, I've seen that too." So my key message from this is, well, why did it happen in the first place? Was it the, because the nurse was rushed and she didn't have time to check the circuit? Was it two, because it's not standard procedure and people don't think it's important? Um, or three, the, le- three, the level of understanding isn't there. So um, what I would say, f- what the learning would be from that is to make it protocol that all circuits are leak tested and this is why Um, and the association of veterinary anaesthetists have some fantastic checklists which help you run through all of the safety checks you need to make you can download these from for free from their website Um, and there you go there's one possibly really awful situation turned into a positive because hopefully it won't happen to another animal um and you know this did happen in my practice a couple of years ago now and thankfully touch wood i'm touching every wood in my living room right now um (laughs) it won't happen again um Mm. but um yeah so i think that's it when you have a negative you have to think of a way of turning it into a positive or working on it so that the negative doesn't happen again yeah absolutely that is um that's what i am all about with risk mitigation strategies and i think that there will always be accidents in practice too and things that go wrong but you can have um you know a mitigated disaster or an unmitigated disaster so you know you might have a spay dog that um during recovery they've got a slipped ligature which can happen to even the best of surgeons and they start bleeding internally and they go into hypovolemic shock um and either they can get to the point that um you know it's it's quite severe or you're going to have someone discharge them to the owner and say oh they're just a bit groggy but they should be back to their normal selves tomorrow and maybe they'll go home and quietly um bleed out there um or you can have a situation where you've got um checks and measures in place so that the person recovering that patient says actually I'm not happy with their temperature, um, you know, they're hypothermic or I'm not happy with their colour, they're a bit pale, not happy with the demeanour, they're just not really uh, interested and they're not going to get up and walk around for me. I'm going to now go straight to the vet and say, I'm not happy with this patient, can you please come and examine it straight away? And then you'll have a vet saying, yep, let's open her up and go back in. You can have the problem fixed and you can have a patient that survives. You can have a vet say, can you prepare the patient and the surgery? We're going to open her up again. I'm going to call the owner and you can call um, the owner. And that is a like a a mitigated disaster, an unmitigated version of that. You can think of all of the issues in your clinic that you've never Mm -hmm. picked up on. Like, um, you know, someone goes to call the owner, but the owner's phone number wasn't checked in the morning. and so we can't contact the owner until they come in and then we look really bad saying oh this is what's happening and now she needs a blood transfusion and she's going to have to stay overnight um or we can have um you know the owner start threatening like um you know this isn't meant to happen and that's because the owner we we look on the file and discover actually this owner didn't sign a consent form and they didn't have any of these risks explained to them and then they're far more likely to go home and get on facebook and say i took my dog in for a basic desex and this is what happened so you can see the unmitigated version of this there can be so many things that were not handled properly that just makes it turn out you know potentially with a fatality but also with a really up 
upset owner and exposure for the practice. Whereas if you've mitigated it every step of the way, you're going to pick that problem up before there's a fatality and you're going to be able um, to, to, to tell that owner straight away, have the vet call them, but have that owner know, okay, well, this was a possibility. They've picked it up. It's going to be fine. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think it's so important that nurses feel confident to speak up if they're not happy. So not to not to worry that they're making a fuss for no reason, but to always speak up if they're unhappy. Um, because yeah. we do have, you know, a duty of care to our patients to be their voice. So I would always rather a nurse come and say, oh, Luke, could you just check this patient for me? Or, you know, I'm going to go and get the vet than try and think oh I'm sure they're yeah they're probably okay I'll just leave it I don't want to disturb the vet's consults no go and disturb the vet's consults because we don't want you know a disaster to strike so um yeah never never worry about asking someone to double check anything that you do um or anything you're unhappy with because um sometimes decision making is very difficult when you're tired and Mm. very busy so Mm. yeah do lean on your colleagues um, and get support from them and don't be afraid to speak up Yeah, and as a junior nurse, nobody's going to be thinking, oh, gee, maybe we should give her less shifts because she doesn't seem to know what she's doing. They're not going to think that if you come and say, can you check this patient? I'm not sure. They're going to think, wow, she's really diligent and we can actually trust her with a lot of responsibility because she knows when she feels out of her depth and she comes and she gets someone. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I I think with students sometimes they're worried about keep ask, keeping asking questions all the time, mm. um, but that is what they're there to do. They're there to ask questions and learn. And I think yeah. if nurses get sort of fed up with students that ask questions, you know, it's the ones that don't ask the questions I worry about because yes. they should be having lots of questions. Yes. So um, yeah, please ask me. It's a very good indicator that they're doing and understanding their work and then coming to work going, these were just the few things I didn't get. And it's a very good indicator that they are understanding most of their job and just coming and getting someone and saying I just don't understand this bit what's going on here and then learning so I agree um, definitely ask and you know it's really important um, for people to be able to to have all all staff following the protocols that are based on um, work done by nurses in in for example your position where we're going through and saying this happened how can we make sure that doesn't happen again yeah exactly yeah well it's been great chatting so far are you happy if we take a quick break and come right back yeah sure i will go and do the english thing and make a cup of tea awesome speak soon support for radio vet nurse comes from zilkeen it's a supplement for cats and dogs that can help with stressful or unpredictable situations you know the ones thunderstorms travel multi-cat households all those triggers zilkeen contains alpha cazozapine to help keep the animal calm it's the same molecule that helps keep newborns calm after breastfeeding it's palatable and easy to give i mix it into my dog's food some behavioral issues are severe and zilkeen probably won't help these but it works well for many pets in stressful situations worth a try right Welcome back, Lou. What advice would you give to someone about to enter the world of vet nursing? Oh, wow. I would just say it's you're in a very exciting position right now um, and the start of an amazing journey, hopefully. Um, I would say if you are just starting in practice, don't expect yourself to know something straight away. I get messages from nurses all the time saying, I just don't feel like it's all going in. I just can't remember everything. Well, Mm. you're not supposed to. Like, you're Mm. not superhuman. Uh, We're all exactly the same. Some things will go in easy. Some things won't. Um, Take a step back and watch and learn. Um, Sometimes in practice, it's really helpful just to step back from situations, especially when they're stressful, um when the more experienced nurses are doing their thing and watch how everyone is working together you'll really sort of pick up some key um bits of advice from that 
Mm, um, and just remember, really yeah, um, and just remember in practice as well that lots of people have different views. So it doesn't necessarily mean that people are wrong, but they may have just been taught a different way or have read mm. a different article or journal um, and have a different opinion based on that. So don't become offended sometimes if you have an opinion that people don't agree with or you see your colleagues having a discussion um, because we are learning and evolving every day, every week, every year. That's what medicine is all about. So, mm. um, yeah. Absolutely. And it, it might be hard for people to, to have that first realisation of, oh, there is not actually a black and white answer mm-hmm. for all of these questions. Like, what is the best way to surgically prep our patients? There is no black and white answer. Or, or you, what you need to do is is have, you know, someone in your practice is responsible for looking at all that data and choosing the way forward and having everybody at least working in a consistent sort of um, fashion. So, yeah, you definitely don't need to know everything. And I found yeah. when I was studying to things wouldn't go in but then I'd have a patient with that particular disease and then I would look after that patient for the day and then go home and just flip open my textbook find that the you know one or two pages about that disease and go ah and then it would sink in because I've actually worked on this patient with this disease and now I get it a little bit more. Yeah I think that what you just said that's something I do as well and I think that's um, a really like brilliant way of learning so making learning real so yeah take a patient and then read up on everything that goes in and around what condition that animal has Um, because then you're when you're sort of later down in your studies you'll think oh yeah so that patient that had kidney disease I remember we did this and we did that and we monitored Mm. this Um, Mm -hmm. and it just makes learning real because in a textbook it's just it's often not real (laughs) Um, as in patients don't read bull um read textbooks and cats certainly Mm. don't we all know Mm. that they are very different from dogs um in how they respond to treatment when they're given um but yeah making your your patients sort of come to life in front of you with your knowledge is um, a really really good way of going about it Particularly with certain issues with cats, like if you've got a blocked cat, for example, there's so much that we can do in our nursing to help these patients. And I think I remember the first time I nursed a blocked cat and then went home that night, read my book and thought, oh my gosh, there's so much I'm not doing that Mm. I could be doing. And the next day I went back to work and I drew up a nursing intervention plan for that patient and I briefed the whole team and, you know, Matt was really happy that that was happening because he wasn't really thinking about those things because he's a vet and not a nurse and then exactly you're like oh great we can do so much more for this patient today yeah we have a completely different perspective I think on you know the patient to what the vet has and we have often that little bit more time um Mm. to sit you know stand there um you know grab a piece of paper put your patient's condition in the middle and what you know what's wrong with them and then spider diagram out all the considerations and things that we need to think about and from that make Mm. a nursing care plan um because that makes it really fun because you really feel like you've had and you know uh, a, a sort of heavy involvement with the care the animal has had um and i don't think your vet will be offended if you went up to them and said oh i've made this nursing care plan what do exactly. you think about this do you have any input i think they'll actually really welcome your help because exactly. they're so busy um yeah. so yeah Go and I like it. having the nursing care plans up where everybody can see it as well because then as you do shift changeovers, the patient's getting consistent care. And I know owners really love to hear that too. We often have nurses giving clients updates and when you can say, well, we're doing this for him and we did this and he became much happier straight away and, you know, they love hearing all of those little touches. So Yeah, exactly. What advice would you give to a student vet nurse struggling with their studies? 
Yeah, so again, I think this is probably one of the most common messages I get sent to my Facebook and Instagram inboxes, um, student nurses. And I remember just how stressful it was um, going to college, working full time, doing on call um, and trying to fit all of this into my brain. And also I was young at the time, so I wanted to have a social life too. (laughs) Um, I probably would find it easier if I did college now because I don't have a social life anymore. But um, yeah, back then it was was a struggle. And um, I think I would just say, relax take a few deep breaths um, and you're probably doing much better than what you think you are Um, Mm. don't compare yourself to your peers um, and other students in your in your in your college class or your university class because everyone is on a different journey Um, think about what type of learner you are and make the the studies real so as we were just mentioning you know um, when you are at college or at uni in a classroom talking about a disease process it's very hard to actually apply it to clinical practice until you're there Mm. so that is why talking about it when you've got the patient in front of you with the vet and other nurses will just Mm. make such a massive difference to you Mm, I totally agree Uh, yeah um and you know you don't just have to stop with you know if you've got a medical patient so um you know a cat with kidney disease chronic kidney disease you know if this cat was to need a dental what would the anaesthesia considerations be you know you really can just spider off um Mm. with your team members when you're all stood together exactly just brainstorming and you can do that when you're writing that patient up and saying you know what they're in for and what's happening and you can just you know group together and see how many considerations you can rattle off and um, it's a it's a great team activity and you know great for everybody to add their own bit of knowledge so and are there any bad or old recommendations that you hear as a vet nurse that you think should be replaced with more useful or modern information well I would say the one thing that was often said to me Um, years ago not so much now is when I was asked a question as to why something was being done a certain way or you know anything that was happening in practice sometimes the answer would be I don't know that's just the way it's always been done yeah well how how is that okay because if we don't understand what we're doing how can we problem solve and problem shoot if there's a Mm -hmm. complication we can't so I would say if some if you ask a question and someone comes back to you with that answer either make it your your sort of your plan to go away and look it up Mm -hmm. or ask the person with you to go and look it up together because um you know I don't I don't think in this job now we can really do things without understanding why we're doing them yeah Um, because it just opens you know uh, the potential for mistakes so I think yeah I don't like that sentence at all. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a sentence that I, as I was getting further through my vet nurse qualification, um, because we really hit the ground running when we opened our practice and Matt was our only vet for many years. And as we would get further through and I would l- actually learn something in a subject, I'd say, well, this is what my textbook and my teacher is saying. Why do we do it like this? And my husband would be like, I don't know. That's just what they did at the first practice I ever worked yeah. at. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I've just done that ever since. And so it does provide a really great opportunity. And if you're in a practice and you're a vet or the owner or um, the head nurse or the practice manager, sometimes it can be really hard to um, have the time to look into those things. So it is great if you do have yeah. other team Help members them out. saying, Go and look in it a, up. yeah, yeah, in a helpful way rather than mm-hmm. a, you know, a complaining about it way. Like, do we know why we do this? Because I was reading something else saying that we could do it like this would you you know would you be happy if I looked into it so and obviously not all vet practices have a a budget for people doing that kind of research and doing that sort of work but I think that that's probably how you would end up 
you know, getting selected for a position like yours by being someone who has a natural interest in why do we do this? Um, yeah. you know, could we do it like this? And, and I don't think there's any problem with wanting to go home and pick up your textbook or to research something just out of interest, even though you're not necessarily on the clock. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a business owner and I want people, you know, working at home. I don't want that. But I think sometimes I look stuff up like that because I just, I need to know, like, what's the answer? And it bothers me sometimes, you know, that I can't think of an example right now, but I'll be at work one day and a student will ask me something. I'll be like, oh, do you know what? I can't actually remember, but I'll look it up and I'll let you know. And those things that you go away and you look up, you will always remember, (laughs) I guarantee. You'll always remember it. And yeah, yeah. so, I mean, don't be embarrassed if someone asks you a question and you don't know the answer. As I said before, like you can't know everything, Um, but, you know, we can go and say, we can acknowledge the fact, oh, I don't really know, but I'll go and look that up. Fine. Yeah. Yep, and I think with new vet nurses coming through their studies, they're that they're great people to be saying that because they have the most up to date education, and it's, it's good sometimes to to actually review. And I guess that's almost like a, a an organic kind of clinical audit, isn't it? To have somebody come yeah. up and say, "Why do we do this?" and you go, "Good question. Let's look into it." Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I just yeah definitely on your wavelength about this. So yeah. And in what ways do you look after your mental well-being and prevent compassion fatigue? So I would say that in my younger years, I wouldn't have said I really suffered with compassion fatigue. Um, But I would say as as I've got older, I I would, yeah, I do from time to time struggle. And it may come as a a surprise to um, some of you that are listening, but... I do suffer with my mental health from time to time because I think, you know, our job is all encompassing. Um, We give ourselves to our work. And when we don't have the positive outcome that we desire or the client doesn't react in the way we want them to. So being grateful and nice to us, you just think, oh, my gosh, I've worked so hard and I've either got nothing. You know, my patient hasn't got better or the client just doesn't care how Mm. hard I've worked. And that can be really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a really good quote a few months ago I saw written by a vet, um, which I thought I would mention um, in this podcast. And it said, um, and he said that his job was his passion and his poison. <laughs> now, I wouldn't mm. say that I view vet nursing as a poison, it isn't, but I think it's because you put so much in, it also does take so much out. Mm. And you do have to remember and take time for yourself. Um, I find when I'm reading things online, so social media forums, um, and there's a lot of negativity towards vets and nurses or our profession in general, it's really hard not to take all of the comments personally, even Mm. if it's not about you or your practice, Mm. because you just, you know how hard everybody works. Um, So in response to your question, (laughs) your initial question, how do I protect my mental health? Well, a couple of years ago, I actually reduced my working hours. Um, to four days a week um, because I was studying at the time and it all just got a little bit overwhelming Um, and this day after I completed um, the course and I passed my exams I thought oh do you know what this has made such a difference Mm. to my mental health because I just have room to breathe because when I'm at work as I'm sure you can tell from how fast I talk, I'm like a Duracell rabbit on it, yeah. <laughs> busy, busy, busy. And um, my batteries run out. You know, I'm not as young as I used to. I've got to 30 and I get tired all the time now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so on my Wednesdays off, I do all of my extracurricular nursing activities. So I do my social media pages, I write articles, I do my presentations, I write my lectures and things like that. But alongside that, I do also walk my dog, I clean my house and do all the other normal real life things that Mm. I should be doing as well. 
Um, I think when with mental health, we do have to all acknowledge that probably all of us suffer um, with it from time to time. Um, mm. And don't be afraid to talk to your management if you are struggling. I did with mine and they were amazing and they still are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to your doctor as well because sometimes you do need a little bit of extra help. Um, and in the UK here, we have a charity called Vet Life. Um, I don't know if it is open to international callers, um, but it's a helpline for veterinary professionals that are just finding everything a bit overwhelming. Um, so yeah if you are in a position at the moment where you are feeling low and you are a bit fatigued then um take action don't just sort of put up with your you know put up with the situation that you're in try and work forwards through it um and as we mentioned earlier why not try and find your niche get excited about Mm. something again um Mm. and that will power you forwards Absolutely. And I think the workplace is changing uh, in terms of how many hours a week a lot of people work. Like I think Mm. if you looked at the workforce 20 years ago, everybody would have worked a five day week, no ifs or buts, full time hours. But I think, you know, in this day and age, a lot of people are saying like, do I really want to be doing that? Maybe I just want to work three days a week. Maybe I want to work four days a week. Maybe I want to work part time and have a side hustle. And I've really seen it change even just in, in my practice. I sort of expected people to want to be rostered the sort of hours that um, that I was used to working in my previous careers and initially I thought oh what are we going to do when people wanted to work less hours but now I think it's great because we have enough people on the roster to cover it but without everybody wanting five days a week there are enough people waiting in the wings if somebody's sick somebody wants a day off nobody's overworked and wrung out so you don't feel bad putting a text out there to everyone saying who who can cover this shift and people are happy to put their hand up so um, I think it's worth having a talk to your boss if you do want to cut down your hours or you don't feel like you necessarily want to spend five days of the week working and then spend your whole weekend doing your laundry and your shopping and your cleaning and there's no weekend left exactly yeah I totally agree um and I I do still work weekends and uh, midweek on call as well but I say having that Wednesday is like my breather basically so if I do have two really hardcore full-on days I've got a rest before my uh, sort of like the next two days um and yeah I am definitely much more efficient when I'm at work because I'm rested so um yeah yeah I would encourage nurses to think about that and I know a lot of practices in the UK now as you've already mentioned as in Australia are um, trying to reduce working hours for staff and it is really important because a lot of us so from my my practice for example I work all day and then my on call um, I am am allowed to sleep at night but if I have an emergency I could be up all night as well so one day Mm. a couple of months ago I went to work at 7am well started at 7 and I ended up finishing at 7am the next morning. Like that's oh. 24 hours at work. But oh you know, that, that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. But that isn't sustainable. So, no. um, you know, we don't, we don't have the working time directive um, applicable to our profession. Um, but yeah, we do have to look after ourselves. And if you do feel like you're being sort of exploited and overworked, um, then you need to address it. Absolutely. And I think that you've raised a good point. The baseline number of hours that you're doing needs to be low enough that if you do get um, asked to stay late or you do get asked to cover somebody's shift because they're sick or if you do get called in to assist with a C-section after hours, that 
you're not going to be totally overwhelmed by those things. So have some room within your budget of how many hours you can work. And it happens for us too. I mean, we'll have yeah. a patient comes in that need, that, the need, that needs surgery and we are fully booked and crazy for the next two to three days. So um, Matt will just say, we'll, we'll do it you know, this evening who, who can stay and someone will say, yeah, I'll stay and they'll do a surgery till eight, nine o'clock at night um, and then, you know, go home. So with our team, luckily, most people are only working three or four days anyway. So even if that happens, they've still got some downtime. So um, yeah, I initially I would have thought, oh, I want everyone on my roster to be full-time employees. But now I think it's fantastic to have mm. a lot of people who want to work hours here and there. So don't be yeah. afraid to talk to your boss. Yeah, exactly. And if you ever feel overwhelmed about life or work, what do you do? Um, I talk to my management. I have a really supportive um, practice manager. She was she was formerly a human nurse, an oncology nurse. So I think she's just she just knows what it's like to be a vet nurse and mm. how tough it can be. Um, so I'm I would say I'm a very full on person, and when I'm productive, I'm super produ- productive. Um, but my adrenal gra- <laughs> adrenal glands probably end up crying from time to time and then I do crash and burn mm. um so my, my management often let me and they, they'll allocate me time to catch up with any of the additional uh, tasks and roles that I have in practice um and then what I try and do is I write a list of, of tasks I need to do so that are you know really important and then those that are not important and then I put the not the not so important ones to bed for a while and just focus mm. on the important ones um, but that can sometimes be hard because the important ones sometimes aren't very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say other times when I'm overwhelmed, what do I do? I, again, I go and see my dog and go for a walk and just walk it out. And sometimes I walk for miles and miles and miles. And by the end, um, I do feel better. But I think talking about how you're fe- feeling is the most valuable thing that we can do. Bottling it up does not help you. No. Um, and you need to have someone, a go-to person you can talk to. If you are someone that doesn't like talking face-to-face, then you know the, the helpline sort of route is a really good way of doing things because they don't know who you are. They don't know your background. They're just a voice that can talk to you and give you um, constructive advice, which is what we need. Mm that's so um, and, amazing you guys yeah. have that phone line i i wish yeah. we, I, I don't think we have anything like that in australia i might oh, be such wrong. a shame it's yeah vet life um are brilliant um mm. they've been around now for quite a few years um it started off quite small but it's had a lot more funding over the last few years um and you know you can phone at any time of day and talk to a professional if you're feeling like you're having a crisis um, because as we all know, um, you know, mental health and, and suicide in this profession is very high. Yeah. Um, and I think the expectations from pet owners now is so much higher than what it used to be. Mm. Um, and, you know, social media is a very negative place and, well, mm. can be a very negative place. So um, these helplines really are helpful. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess in Australia, you have more sunshine than we do here, but winter is definitely not a good time for us Brits mm. <laughs> um, because we just don't have we don't have much daylight and when it is Mm. light there's often not sunshine so I think we all become vitamin d deficient and um, get seasonal affective disorder so um yeah I feel like I need to become a bearded dragon and get a big sunlight um a big uv lamp in my living room (laughs) (laughs) oh I am so sensitive to that I grew up in sort of southern New South Wales in Wagga Wagga and then I moved to Melbourne to go to uni and I spent five years in Melbourne and it's one of the colder areas in Australia and winter really is gloomy and dark and there's no sun or anything like that and after about five years of doing that I was just like I cannot 
do this Can't anymore. Do it. And I moved yeah. sight unseen to Brisbane, which is in Queensland, which is like the sunshine state. And I was like, where where have I been living all my life? Why have I not been here? Because it's, you know, T-shirt and shorts in, in winter kind of thing. And then I've moved even further north. So I, I'm really sensitive to that. And I agree, yeah. you need to find a way to take a midwinter break and go sit in the sun somewhere or get a big UV lamp like you're, yes. you're discussing. And yeah, sunshine is really important and fresh air. So we um, yeah. don't have to worry about that where I am. And what is the main area of our industry that needs attention or improvement? Well, there are quite a few areas. I mean, I feel largely positive at the moment that a lot of positive change is happening um, in our profession. Um, but we all know that salary isn't great for, for any of us. Um, I think it does all need it needs addressing globally. Um, you know, we're all qualified, we're skilled, we're knowledgeable, and we deserve higher salaries at the end of the day. Um, and I just I think basically we need to standardise how we are paid so here in the uk the nhs which is the national health service so it's human um medicine medical world um their nurses are on like a pace pay system so depending mm-hmm. on how many years experience they are and how qualified they are will um change what they're paid but there isn't really that level of sort of um salary financial progression for us here in the yep. uk um so i do hope in, in years to come something like that will occur whereby you know you've been qualified for five years now you've gone up a band oh you've done this qualification this entire you know you should be paid this much more because of that Um, because I think that will just really motivate nurses one to stay in the profession because they get rewarded for you know Mm -hmm. being in practice from 15 to 65 (laughs) Mm -hmm. and um, also from um, a academic perspective if, if loads of nurses are studying and they're extremely highly qualified you know this does need to be um rewarded absolutely um the other thing which i don't know if you, you got ladies and gentlemen over in australia are aware but here in the uk back in 2015 um we launched um a protect the title veterinary nurse campaign here in the uk so in the uk still any anybody can call themselves a veterinary nurse so it doesn't mean they're qualified it doesn't mean they've done any training but there's no legal implication to just someone you know random person calling themselves a veterinary nurse Mm. so um this was taken to parliament but parliament um just said at the time they didn't feel it was necessary so at that point the royal veterinary college started a new royal charter which um was for nurses to join once they're qualified so here in the uk now once we're qualified we're known as registered veterinary nurses so that's why you'll see rvn um, after our names so this means basically that one we're qualified and two we are liable for our own professional conduct and we have a code of conduct to abide by now i really hope in the future the term veterinary nurse is is protected um and i know with brexit going on here in the uk at the moment there is no way on earth parliament would consider looking at this again right now um but you know you wouldn't be a a human nurse wouldn't be able to call themselves you know a registered nurse without actually being registered um so you know i I do think this is very important do you guys over there would this change with the new system that's just coming in with you now is your title protected or i'm um actually really surprised that you um to learn that that you had this issue with the title because uh that's the same in australia anybody can be employed um and you know called a a vet nurse and actually under our award our national award that that sets the the minimum pay standards and things like that 
it's, you know, level one vet nurse, level two vet nurse, even though it's not until level four that you're assumed um, to have been qualified. So um, that's part of what we're doing as well. So we have the AVNAT avnat registration scheme which is commencing on the same day that this episode is launching so 1st of april 2019 and so it's the avnat stands for australian veterinary nurse and technician so it's a self-registration scheme because as as it is at the moment the legislation in australia is different in every state in terms of whether the vet nurses are recognized in the veterinary legislation so we weren't able to get actual um standard or mandatory registration until the state legislation aligns but in the meantime we do now have um, voluntary registration um, which will enable us to at least show the government we're all interested in in having this national registration scheme and hopefully we can work towards changing the legislation Um, but yeah basically um, the, the VNCA's position is that the unqualified and unregulated veterinary staff may may be exposing the public and uh, and patients to harm and increasing liability and so to by creating this scheme um, we're going to have nurses be subject to a self-regulation program so very similar to what you're saying with yeah, the code of conduct brilliant. so it will just set standards yeah, of professional practice across the vet nursing industry um, make sure that we know everybody's got a minimum level of education yeah. and is maintaining their levels of education with cpd um, yeah. make nurses accountable for being professionals in practice and having the correct conduct um, you know uh, aligning more closely with international standards as we hope and just yeah. safeguarding the public um, interest yeah, and the public health so very similar and I actually yeah I had no idea I, I have seen that you guys are RVNs but I I thought that's that, the reason um, why yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so how, how so recent was that so the register came in back in 2015 right so now um what i can do actually is i'll send you a link to the video the royal college released about protecting the title it's a a short youtube video it's really um it's it's really good um and it just explains basically to pet owners as well if you see the title rvn you know that they are qualified to be doing Mm. what they're doing um and that you know we are our own professionals so um yeah very similar so if you see an australian vet nurse um or with the with or technician with the avnat um badge on you know that they are a um registered veterinary nurse so um, we're we're right behind you on that and i will put a link to that youtube video in the show notes as well um, for anyone interested to to watch that so that's really exciting then um, well, it's been so good talking to you and um, and I'm really relieved that you haven't taken on my accent and I haven't taken on yours. I know. So we've done really <laughs> well. it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Maybe that's why. Maybe we've met in the middle. Maybe we can't sort of um, take each other's accents because we're both trying to do the same thing. So. Yeah, well, maybe if we do another one, I can do it in an Australian accent and you can do do it in an English accent. Yeah, perfect. You can ask me the questions in an Australian accent. Well, uh, just to finish up with you today, Lou, and I'll make sure I've got links in my show notes as well to um, your Instagram and your Facebook and to your um, brilliant poster as well. And if you you. could reach out and thank a mentor who's helped you in your career and personal development in the veterinary industry, who would it be and what would you say? Well, when I was I first saw this question, I was like, oh gosh, there's so many people that have supported me um, along the way in my career and pushed me to do what I'm doing now. 
Um, I think sort of presently, um, my practice manager, Julie, she's um, always just been so supportive. She's a bit like my work mum, I always say. Um, (laughs) She, um, you know, has always pushed me to do the CPD and the courses that I've wanted to do um, and supported me with those as well. I think as um, a nurse from the profession that has just totally inspired me forever um, is a vet nurse called Louise O'Dwyer. Um, I'm sure many of you have heard of her name before. She has written textbooks, she lectures all around the world, she's done every qualification under the sun and has more post-nominals than I have knickers. <laughs> um, she, she's just like an amazing vet nurse and um, when you hear, hear her speak you can just tell it runs in her blood. Um, mm. So for me I always, I've always been like oh you know I want to be just like her um, <laughs> and I've got the half of my name right so you know. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Um, when I was a student nurse, I had a fab assessor um, called Juliet. She was our head nurse as well. She was just always like a swan when she was nursing, even in an emergency, never flapping, just mm-hmm. cracked on, knew what she had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I always looked at her and thought, wow, like mm. she's amazing. Um, so yeah, I would definitely reach out and say she was such an inspiration to me. And I think just our profession in general in, inspires me. Um, when I see nurses writing on forums, I just, I'm so proud of what we all say and what we're all striving for. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, individually sometimes you might feel like you're not making much of a difference in this profession, but actually together we're making massive changes mm. every single year. And um, that's something to be celebrated. Yeah, absolutely. And the way that, you know, standards are improving for our patients all over the world and the way that we're taking our time to learn from each other and learn together um, and strive to be better all the time. I agree. It makes me really proud of vet nurses everywhere, too. Yeah, so proud. Yeah. Hashtag proud to be a vet nurse. (laughs) I love my hashtags. I know. I love your hashtags, too. Well, thank you so much for joining me and I hope um, the rest of your day goes brilliantly. I'm actually off to bed since we are on opposite sides of the world. Oh, and I've survived morning. Woohoo. I've survived getting up early. Yay. Um, yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure and um, an honour to be featured on Radio Vet Nurse. Um, yeah, I really think um, just vet nursing is amazing and we should all be so proud of ourselves big each other up pat each other on the back on a daily basis and just make the effort to make um this profession great exactly high fives and back slaps every day yeah. all around exactly there we go there's a new hashtag <laughs> high fives <laughs> and back slaps <laughs> oh, perfect lou all right then thanks again have an amazing day thanks cat Thanks for listening to Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast. To help us make more free episodes, subscribe and leave a review. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Radio Vet Nurse or drop in at radiovetnurse.com.